Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The term mastermind was originally written in Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Before that, the earliest documentation that we have of a mastermind group was Ben Franklin's group that he used to meet every single week in a tavern that he called Huntus. Nation, there's no doubt about it. Life is too short to do it alone, and it's not very much fun to do it alone in. Nation, I urge you to go to scalinguph2o.com and find out if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. I'd love to have a 15-minute call with you to explain all things Rising Tide Mastermind and see if this is a group that's right for you and you are right for the group. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. My name is Trace Blackmore, the host of your favorite industrial water treatment podcast. And Nation, this is one of my favorite shows. This is where we open up the Scaling Up H2O mailbag and all of the information that you great people in the Scaling Up Nation send to us via either text message, voicemail. Most of you go online to scalinguph2o.com and go over to our show ideas page. Some of you even leave us voicemails on that page. And what we ask you to do is let us know what you want us to talk about on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And that is exactly what you did. And that's what we're pulling from today. We're going to be answering your questions about... Well, you're going to have to wait a little bit for that because I am going to let you know just shortly what we're going to be talking about. But before I do, I want to make sure you are ready for some things that are coming up. Now, these are events that you should plan for if you are in that type of industrial water treatment. And let's face it, it is so hard for an industrial water treater to keep track of everything that's going on in addition to keeping up with their regular day-to-day. -day. So that's where we at the Scaling Up H2O podcast come in where we are here to help you stay organized when it comes to all of the events in the world of water. And the first one that I want to tell you about is the Engineer Society of Western Pennsylvania is putting on the International Water Conference once again. Now, you've heard me talk about that on this podcast. And if you didn't have the dates, it's November 12th through 16th. That's going to be at the Marriott River Center in San Antonio, Texas. And folks, I am so excited for this one because we have partnered with the International Water Conference and the Scaling Up H2O podcast is going to be at the International Water Conference to hopefully meet you. Hopefully we can see you there at the conference. You can tell us what you want to hear on the show, maybe a future Pinks and Blues episode, or maybe there's some people that you want us to interview. Maybe you are one of the people that we should interview. Now we're going to make sure we are 
fully visible at the International Water Conference. So you should see me there. I'm going to be doing a lot of recording at this show. Maybe I'll get a chance to record you to be on this Scaling Up H2O podcast. And folks, if you have never been to an International Water Conference before, I am going to urge you to come to this one. For one reason, it's in San Antonio, Texas. And if you have never been there, San Antonio is one of the coolest cities. It's built on a river walk, and you are sure to love it. There's a lot of history there, and there's just a lot of fun to be had. And the Marriott River Center is right on that river walk, and there's just so much to do there. As I have mentioned, we're going to be broadcasting from the conference the entire week. But folks, I am so excited because I am the keynote speaker for this year's International Water Conference. And I can't wait to share my message with all of the people that are going to be in attendance at the International Water Conference. And I sure hope that that is you. So if you want more information about the International Water Conference put on by the Engineer Society of Western Pennsylvania, you can go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our events page, and we will have everything you need in order to find out more about the International Water Conference right there for you. Now, maybe you're looking for a couple of other events to attend. So the North American Water Loss Conference and Expo is taking place in Denver, Colorado, December 5th through 7th. We're going to have information about this show. So if this is the type of water treatment that you practice and want to get more information on, by all means, go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our events page, and we will have all of that information. While you're there, check out the information that we have on the 2024 ASHRAE Winter Conference taking place January 20th through 24th. And that's going to be in Chicago, Illinois. So be sure to go to scalinguph2o.com, over to our events page, and you will see those events and more. And folks, there is so much to do in our industry. It's my hope that as we wrap up this year, as you start planning for next year, you start planning to attend some of these shows because it is amazing all of the new technology that's coming out, and it's hard to keep up with all of that. So going to some of these shows allows you to bolster what you already know and improve upon that. It is my hope that you always have continuing education on your list each and every year. And one of the great things about going to these conferences is there are people there that you don't know you don't know. And if you are not fully taking advantage of networking at these conferences, folks, you are missing a golden opportunity. And I know I'm talking to a good amount of people in the Scaling Up Nation that that just terrifies. Nation, you might remember that we did a couple of shows on how we can help people that are more introverted in social situations at these conferences. So if you want to re-listen to episode 96, that's the one where we try to help introverts at conferences. And then we also did a follow-up to that. That was show 202, 202. 
And that was where we learned how to network better in a virtual world. So hopefully that will help everybody in the Scaling Up Nation. I think I've shared this on a podcast episode before, but if I haven't, whenever I go to a conference, I set goals for myself. And the goals are pretty simple. I want to learn three new things and I want to meet three new people. And if I do that, it was a successful show. Now, what really happens is I learn about a dozen things and I meet about a couple of dozen people. Now, I will say having a podcast really helps if I'm going to a water-related conference, but you do not need a podcast to meet people. You just need to meet people. And if that just exhausts you, what I would suggest that you do is go to one of the events that they have and just say, I'm going to meet one person at that event. I'd love for you to say, I'm going to meet three people at that event, but that might be exhausting for you. One is better than none. Say, I'm going to meet one person at that event. And normally that's enough to make you feel a lot better about the situation. And you'll probably end up meeting more because that person will do the introduction for you. Please take advantage of learning more and meeting more people with all of the events that we have in the water world. Something else I hope you are taking advantage of is each and every week, our friend James McDonald is doing a brand new periodic water table with James. So hopefully you've been keeping up with these. And if you have, we are going to be 52 times smarter, 52 times more aware, 52 times more polished on the chemistries that you and I use each and every day in our career. So here is James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is polyacrylate, or PAA. What is polyacrylate? What's it used for? What is a typical molecular weight for polyacrylate? Is it any good at inhibiting calcium carbonate scale? What about calcium sulfate? What about iron? At what concentrations is polyacrylate typically applied? Does the molecular weight of polyacrylate impact the method in which it inhibits scale formation? What is the chemical formula for the basic monomer of polyacrylate? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learn to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you, James. And if you have not kept up with all of the episodes that we have had James on, don't worry, we've got that on our website, and you can simply find that by going to scalinguph2o.com. You can look at all the different shows that we have and follow along with James.
Nation, as I mentioned before, this is one of my favorite episodes because this is where you get to talk to me and tell me exactly what it is that you want to learn more about. And drumroll, please, Sean. For those of you that don't know, Sean is the most amazing audio engineer that we have here at the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Okay, as that drum roll is going, we are going to be talking about enhanced chiller tubes. There it is, enhanced chiller tubes. Lots of questions around enhanced chiller tubes. So we took all of those questions and we decided we were going to make a podcast episode dedicated to the wonderful world of enhanced chiller tubes. So let's just start out of the gate. What the heck is an enhanced chiller tube? Well, imagine if you will, we have a heat exchanger that has a shell and tube of some sort, and we have a fluid inside of the tube, and we have either another fluid or a refrigerant on the outside of the tube. And as we know, a heat exchanger's job is to get heat from one medium to another, one body of material, water say, to another so we can transfer it along down the row so we can ultimately grab more heat out of the system, taking that heat to somewhere where we just don't care about it anymore. And that's what a heat exchanger is supposed to do. So an enhanced chiller tube is where we've altered the design of the chiller tube and created some extra features and made some modifications to the surface, that improves the heat transfer efficiency to that of a regular tube. And a regular tube is very smooth. And because of these enhancements, it actually increases the rate in which heat exchange between those two mediums that we just spoke about actually takes place. So that's what an enhanced chiller tube is. So why would we care about having an enhanced chiller tube? An enhanced chiller tube actually allows the footprint of whatever we have, that heat exchanger, to exchange more heat. And that's what it's all about. We want to get heat out of whatever medium, most likely it is water, and transfer that to wherever it's carrying out that heat to where we don't care about it. Most likely in a chiller situation, we are transferring that from water to refrigerant, then back to water, and then up to the cooling tower where it's released into the atmosphere. Well, when we're talking about the chiller, when the tubes where the water is inside, those enhanced chiller tubes are allowing us to transfer more heat from wherever we have in that chiller tube so we can do more of what that heat exchanger is supposed to do. Now, why is this important and how does this work? So I want everybody to imagine water going through a tube. And as we have water going through a tube and it's a smooth tube, that water is just gonna stay on its final course, on its same course, and whatever is touching the outside walls of those tubes, that outside part of the water that's touching the tubes, that's where the heat is getting exchanged from the water, 
through the tubes into most likely the refrigerant. Well, we now have the inside of that column of water that also has heat inside it. Now, it's not touching the outside wall, so we're not getting a lot of heat transfer for what's inside that water column. So here we bring enhanced tubes to the party. And normally enhanced tubes have some sort of rifling, something on there that will change that water column from going smoothly through the tube to actually rotating around and forcing the inside of that water column to now go to the outside. We're mixing up all of the water as it travels through that tube and we're allowing every bit of water and the heat it contains to hit that outside heat transfer surface, that tube wall interface. So that's what enhanced tubes do. They mix up the water column so we can get every shot that we can of any heat that's inside that water traveling through that tube to touch the heat transfer surface, which is that tube wall interface. That is what enhanced chiller tubes do. Now, there are all sorts of different ways we can change the flow of water and call it an enhanced chiller tube. I just mentioned rifling, and this is what you're going to see most often. And if you have ever been familiar with how a gun works, how a projectile fires out of a gun, you will notice that the barrel of that gun is not smooth. It is rifled. That's probably why we call it rifling. And that causes that projectile to rotate. And because it's rotating, it actually can stay on a straighter path. Didn't know you were going to learn about firearms today, but that's why they do that. And that's where that name rifling comes from. And when we do that in chiller tubes, we can see that there is a rifling. There's an etching of all these swirls that are going down that chiller tube. And those are all designed to create turbulence that enhances the heat transfer by allowing all of the heat within that water to at some point or another hit that wall, tube wall interface transferring that heat. Now you might be familiar with the term laminar flow, and this is where smooth and steady water is going through the tube and there's no turbulence at all. So when we put this rifling in, we are actually breaking up the laminar flow. And for more about that, I'm sure you can YouTube or search the internet, Google is your friend, all about laminar flow. And the reason I wanna mention laminar flow and how you might want to know more about this is when we talk about biofilm, laminar flow has a large amount to do with biofilm. So if you're somebody that is doing a due diligent Legionella prevention program, and of course, just a short while ago, we had Legionella Awareness Month, just realize that this laminar flow effect makes it very difficult to get some sorts of biofilm. So that's not really this episode, but I thought I would not be doing the Scaling Up Nation a service if I didn't mention that. 
So to go back to our regularly scheduled program, we now have water in rifled tubing. And what it is doing, it is making sure that we are adding turbulence into the water. Well, rifling is only one of the ways that they can do that. They can also add fins to the chiller tubes itself. And just imagine a fin. It actually has a fin on the outside of those tubes. And that is designed to give one more heat transfer surface and also to create that spiraling effect so we can get heat on every surface area. Now, there's different versions of fins. We have larger fins. We have smaller fins. Uh, we have uh, high profile, low profile, all sorts of different ways that we can do that. And then manufacturers are also putting different coatings on chiller tubes to allow for even more heat transfer to cut down on that laminar effect that we just talked about. So all of those things are how we are enhancing tubes. Now, I'm relatively certain that on the inside of a chiller tube, nine times out of 10, you are going to come in contact with rifling. So let's consider we are looking down a chiller tube and we can see all of this spiral rifling that's going on. Well, if we are putting water through that and our water has stuff in it, and let's face it, we treat water that's not just water, it is water with stuff in it, we are now giving more surface area more places where that stuff can actually get hung up in. So as you can imagine, we're gonna catch more debris with these enhanced tubes. Now, the debris can be general dirt. If we're talking about a cooling tower and condenser water, well, that cooling tower is a giant air scrubber. And anything that comes into that cooling tower is going to get washed into our water and it eventually is going to get into our chiller and those enhanced tubes and the little grooves that they have in between them, that's going to allow places for that debris to get caught and settle out. So that's something we need to be aware of. Now, I have seen all sorts of things within chiller tubes. Of course, we talk about dirt and debris. I've seen grass. Of course, they always put the cooling tower out back where nobody has to look at it, but there's lots of grass back there. And as they cut the grass, it gets blown into the cooling tower where that gets stuck in the chiller. I've seen sticks in the chiller. I've seen June bugs in the chiller. I think I told a story on the podcast a while back when my father was training me in this industry. I remember we got a phone call from a client that said we had completely scaled his chiller overnight and he wasn't getting any heat transfer. So we changed our plans. We went up to inspect the chiller. We took the end bell off. And folks, I have never seen so many June bugs in my life. Now, I can't remember if that had rifling inside the tubes or not, but it didn't matter. There were just so many bugs in there. It was, it was remarkable. And we didn't scale the chiller. 
there were a bunch of bugs in there. So we helped them clean all of that out. And the reason for that was this was a beautiful facility. And like I mentioned before, they put the cooling tower in the back because they didn't want the cooling tower to ugly up the facility. I happen to think cooling towers are beautiful. I think the scaling up nation is with me, but that's beside the point. So in the back, they had this cooling tower and then they tried to distract the fact that there was a cooling tower there and they put up all of this different vegetation and one of the plants that they used, June bugs loved. And there were just enormous amounts of June bugs on these plants. I didn't know they can swarm, but trust me, as many of that were there, there was swarming taking place. Uh, I mean, there were thousands, probably tens of thousands of June bugs within this chiller. And we got them all out. And they actually ended up cutting down all of that material, all of those plantings, because they were causing such an issue. So just be aware that uh, that could happen to you. And the lesson to this story is when in doubt, everybody is going to blame the water treater. We had nothing to do with the choices that were made for the plantings by the cooling tower. We had nothing to do with the June bugs infesting the cooling tower and getting sucked up into the condenser water. And then, of course, clogging up the condenser barrel. But before anybody knew what was going on, the default was to blame the water treater. So just keep that in mind. And of course, we had a great time with our customer. They realized that it was not our fault, but we definitely ingratiated ourselves to them because we stayed there and we helped them clean up June bugs. I really wish I had pictures because I don't think what I am saying is really conveying how many June bugs were actually in this chiller. So imagine what you're imagining and multiply it by 10 and maybe you are getting close. So we're gonna have things within the chiller that get caught in the chiller. We add rifling to that, we add enhanced tubes, that's gonna give it places where it can hang out. So what does that mean? Well, that means we're probably gonna need it to clean it more often. But I'm gonna talk about that more in a second. The other thing that we need to be concerned about is we have a lot of turbulence going on inside those tubes. That's the design. We're supposed to get heat transfer on every little area of that water. So any heat that's inside that water, at some point we'll see the heat transfer surface. Well, as we do that, we are putting more energy into the water. Depending on where you are in the world, you might be running a water that is so concentrated, it cannot afford to have any more energy put into it. Now, what do I mean by that? Only pure water evaporates, leaving its solids behind. And of course, we're constantly evaporating condenser water via the cooling tower. And we are constantly putting new water in so the tower does not run dry. The system can still continue to function. Well, as we're putting that new water in, we are bringing more solids in with that water. I love to call that concentration ratio. Now, a lot of people call that cycles of concentration, but I don't like that term because I have explained cycles of concentration to people perfectly. 
And when I ask them what it means, they always come back to how many times the water is recirculating. And it's not about recirculating, and that's what cycles seems to bring. I prefer concentration ratio because it's a self-defining term. How many times have we concentrated up the base water? So with that, as we concentrate up our solids that are dissolved in the water, that is continuing to concentrate, and eventually we get to a point where the water simply cannot hold any more in solution, and that's how scale is created. Well, if we have a highly concentrated water, that water is working on keeping that in solution. If we put that into more energy, i.e. turbulent water, that extra energy can actually create a nucleation site. What's a nucleation site? That's that first place where scale occurs. And once we have that seed crystal that occurs and forms scale, we now have a chain reaction. When we have rifling, when we have enhanced tubes, sometimes that's more energy than that water can actually take and we scale the chiller. So if we have enhanced tubes, as a water treater, we need to run all of our scaling indices. Now, we talk about LSI, RSI, and PSI on this podcast before, the Risner Stability Index, the Langelier Stability Index, and the Pecorius, or Practical Scaling Index. And what all of those do is they figure out how much calcium carbonate we can concentrate in the water before we are going to create scale. Actually, that's not what they do. What they do is tell us what the water is doing and we're either uh, precipitating calcium carbonate or we are dissolving calcium carbonate. So in this case, let's say we were in the potential to precipitate calcium carbonate, and now we put it in enhanced tubes, that might not allow us to keep what we think we can keep in solution. So we have a couple of options here. What most of us would do would probably back down on the concentration ratio so now we have a little bit more buffer. We're not at the maximum where the water cannot hold any more solids. We back that down so there is a little bit of a buffer and that will normally take care of the issue. But we're water treaters. We're not just going to do that. We're probably also going to make sure whatever special juice, whatever our products are that we are putting into the system, that we are putting something extra in with that in mind. Now, if you've never thought about what type of chiller that you are treating and what type of products that you need to put inside that heat transfer equipment, you are missing the whole point of our jobs. Now, we are called water treaters, and that's what we do. We do treat the water, but we do it for only one reason, to make sure we're taking care of the equipment that that water is traveling through. And if we don't understand the equipment that our water is seeing, then we are not doing our complete jobs. Now, this is not easy because people will add pieces of equipment and not tell us about it. 
People will spec in different things that they told us that they were going to install and not tell us about it. So we have to be diligent. Whenever there's a new piece of equipment that is getting installed, we need to know about it. Whenever a customer adds something to a loop, we need to know about it. And let's face it, we are really the liaison between the people that are installing the equipment and the people that own the equipment. Most likely, they've talked about budget, they've talked about logistics, how everything is going to get installed. We come in and we help bring in the whole focus of operation. How is this going to be used? What issues in the use could possibly arise because of this piece of equipment? We're the ones that are going to see it each and every time that we service. We are the ones that are responsible for the heat transfer management of the system. And I have said it so many times on this podcast, but I'm not sure if I've said it lately. So I'm going to say it right now. Our job is heat transfer efficiency management. Everything else that we do is all about the management of that efficient heat transfer. Now, you might have special things in your product, and that's great. And by the way, everybody has the access to all that special stuff. So, but good for you. We all have access to the same stuff, but why do we put that stuff in there? It's because we are heat transfer efficiency managers and we want to keep the surfaces clean. Why? Because clean surfaces allow us to efficiently take heat from wherever we are taking it from and pass it all the way down the line and take it to a place where we don't care about it. Clean surfaces mean efficient surfaces, and that's what the name of the game is. So if you have enhanced tubes, make sure you understand all the things that are in the water that are not just water. Now, I just alluded to the fact that we are going to have to maintain enhanced tubes more often than smooth tubes. Well, why is that? Well, we just talked about it. It gives all these little sites where we could accumulate scale or debris within the system. So what does that mean? Well, if you have rifling or some sort of enhancement in your heat exchange tubes, that means that you need to clean them more often. Now, hopefully your customer has a regular schedule where all their heat transfer equipment is getting cleaned on a regular basis. And some people don't clean their heat transfer equipment as often as they should, and that is not allowing the most efficient heat transfer. Now, when in doubt, blame the water trader, but let's really talk about what's going on here we have a dance between what we can do with chemistries, with manipulating the water, and we can do that only so far, but we also have to bring some mechanical aspects into the mix, and that is mechanical cleaning. Just like you do regular oral hygiene each and every day, several times a day, you still go to the dentist to make sure you get that deep cleaning. Well, that's how you have to look at these heat transfer tubes. So hopefully they've got the maintenance and cleaning of these chiller tubes on their schedule. And if they have enhanced tubes, 
they probably need to do that more often because there's all these extra spaces that are going to get dirty. So you can now tell the mechanical that is doing the preventative maintenance service and the owner of the equipment that this isn't like the old chiller that they had and once a year is not going to cut it. And depending on how much debris is in the area, what type of water you have, you're gonna have to figure out what that new calendar needs to be when they are going to clean their equipment. But trust me, most people will never think about about that, they're just going to stay on the same schedule. And when they see the efficiency drop, they're going to assume that it's based on poor water treatment management. And maybe it is, but most likely it's just overdue a cleaning. I can't tell you how many cooling towers that are out there that are overdue a cleaning. I've heard so many people say, we clean it every three to five years, whether the tower needs it or not. Well, folks, you probably need it every quarter. And please, if you have the ability to put some sort of filtration on the condenser water, on the cooling tower water, that so much helps everything that we're talking about because it's actually getting all that dirt and debris out of the water. If we don't have it in the water, we don't have to worry about it. And now maybe they can go back to a less often cleaning schedule. There's so many cooling towers out there that do not have filtration on them, and we know that they are just sucking everything out of the air and putting it into the water that we are charged with treating. I implore you to educate people about filters, and it's my wish that every cooling tower that was sold had a filter built into it. It would make our jobs a lot easier but maybe the next time they are specking in a new cooling tower, we can be there to get them to spec in a sand filter or a centrifugal filter. A lot of people like those because they're self-cleaning. But as we all know, they all do different things. Now, what's the benefit of a cyclonic or a centrifugal separator? Well, it gets out probably about 75 micron particles and above and it spins those off to the side, and then once there's a bunch of stuff that's collected, it just simply washes that through the drain, and then it does it all over again. So they're very self-maintaining. A lot of people like them for that. Well, 75 and above, that means there's a lot of particles below 75 and below. So that means we bring in something like a sand filter. Now a sand filter will start filtering at about five microns and above, and the dirtier it gets, it will actually go down. So depending on your situation, uh, you might wanna consider something like that. Now, obviously the less is better, but depending on the footprint and all the things that are going on with your particular account, that's why you are a water treatment professional because you can help figure out what the best filtration is for that particular customer. And think of all the extra services that we offer just by doing the water treatment. We know about the equipment. We know about how to maintain it. We know about what filtration that we should recommend. So folks, water treatment, oh my gosh, what a gift to the rest of the world with everything that we do each and every day. So I just mentioned that we probably need to clean enhanced 
heat exchangers more often, will we also want to consider treating enhanced heat exchangers a little bit differently? Now, maybe we have a different product that has more dispersants, more surfactants in it to allow us to keep particulate matter from sticking in those enhanced tubes. Well, that's a great application for a product like that because maybe we can try with chemistries to keep the surfaces cleaner. Now, if somebody's listening, they might just say, well, why don't we just do that instead of worrying about mechanically cleaning? Well, as much as we try, there's always going to be stuff that sticks that we don't want. This is just going to try to minimize that as much as we can. Now, how much is that? We don't know until we open it up, which is why we need to make sure that we have regular cleanings on the calendar. And as we have those cleanings, if we can be available as the water treater to be there, you learn so much by looking inside a heat exchanger about what's going on with your program. Now, that's why we do tests. And all those tests is for us to predict what's happening within the water and the equipment that we are treating. But now we get a show and tell. When we can open up the heat exchange equipment and look inside there, we can see exactly what's going on. And normally we can use that information to make our programs better after that equipment is put back online. The other thing a water treater needs to consider when it comes to enhanced tubes is our biological programs. What microbicides are we using and what amount of microbicides are we using? If we are changing out the equipment from a non-enhanced tube to an enhanced tube, we've got all of these little areas where things can stick to, where biofilm can grow so we're probably going to have a higher demand with our microbicides than we did on a non-enhanced piece of equipment. So we might want to increase biocide dosing. We might want to change our biocide. One of the things that I would recommend is that you feed an oxidizing biocide in addition to a non-oxidizing biocide and check out to make sure everything is compatible with what you're doing. But I love feeding oxidizing biocide on demand, and that's with an ORP probe. ORP stands for Oxidation Reduction Potential, and that's how a lot of water treaters are feeding their halogens, which is either bromine or chlorine, and it's being fed by demand. So let's say they're putting something in the cooling tower or the cooling tower is sucking in all this dirt and debris and now we have a demand for more oxidizer well you don't have to be on site to do that the probe will realize that all the oxidizer is getting used up and it will call for that pump to energize and it will send more oxidizer so with that we know that we are keeping up with demand now, it might be that we have to elevate the amount of free oxidant that we have within the system, and maybe that means we elevate the ORP with these enhanced tubes. Do you always have to do that? Well, it really depends on your system, and that's why we are so versed in industrial water treatment equipment, because we are going to learn that equipment 
as we treat it each and every month. So as you are figuring out this equipment, it probably starts with, hey, we're getting this new chiller, and that's all they tell you. And you say, well, tell me about this chiller. And after a couple of questions, they're going to say it has enhanced tubes. And now after listening to this podcast, you realize all the things that you need to be aware of because of that tube enhancement. And now you can be better equipped to treat this chiller and make sure those heat transfer tubes stay as efficient and clean as they possibly can. Now, as we continue in our water treatment careers, we're going to see new enhancements. I don't know what they're going to be, but there are heat transfer engineers all over that are trying to figure out how do we create better equipment? How do we make the heat transfer of what we're trying to do more efficient? How do we do it with a smaller footprint? How do we do it more economically? How do we increase the life of the equipment? How do we make it easier to ship? All of these things they are thinking about, and that means that the landscape of our water treatment world is continuously going to change as all these new developments happen. And I hope that doesn't scare you. I hope that excites you because it keeps this industry very interesting and it ensures that we never get bored because we are always learning about all the new things that are coming out and how do we best apply what we do very well, which is applying our chemistries, whatever they could be, to enhance that heat transfer. Nation, this episode would not have been possible had several people had not written into the show and let us know that they wanted to know more about enhanced tubes. And a lot of times I just have a lot of fun and I take about a dozen questions and I will turn them into a show. So most likely if you wrote in about enhanced tubes, you heard how I answered your question, even though I didn't play your name on the air asking that question. By the way, that is my favorite thing that people do when you go to scalinguph2o.com and go over to our show ideas page and click on leave voicemail and you talk to me and you say, this is what I want to hear. Even if we don't use your voice on the air, I love hearing that and it inspires shows just like this. Well, I hope that you share this episode with other people on your team so they can understand all the things that are happening inside the heat transfer equipment that they are charged with treating. And I hope that this sparked your interest to learn more about enhanced chiller tubes. And we're going to have the AWT position paper on our website so you can learn more about enhanced chiller tubes. And I hope every time you listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, you find something that sparks your interest, but you don't leave it right there. You learn more about it, and now you are becoming the next expert on that. And I hope you share what you learn because that creates a ripple effect all over the water treatment community 
Not only did it make you stronger, it's now making everybody that does what we do stronger. And that helps us out with our mission, which is raising the bar in the industrial water treatment industry, one water treater at a time. Nation, if you have an idea for a show, go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our ideas page and let us know what that is. Thank you so much for allowing me to do a show like this. It is just an honor to be able to come at this podcast with you each and every week and talk about the things that you told me that you want me to talk about. I hope you have a great week and we'll have a brand new episode for you next Friday. Scale Up Nation, you asked for it and it is here. So many of you are taking the Certified Water Technologist examination and you're wanting to get better information on how to better answer the mock exam. Now this is the exam that you get when you sign up for the CWT exam. Well, I have heard your request and I've done exactly that. I have recorded a class that has exactly what you've been asking for. It is me answering each one of the questions and letting you know why I chose certain answers. And of course, everybody wants me to do math and I do all the math on the mock exam. So you can see how to get the right answer. And I hope this is something that will help build your confidence so you can get your certification. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Get out there and get your certification today.